holy crap i just i just thought dave batista would be a perfect batu yeah he'd be a perfect major too you're like yeah, uh, you're right <laughs> just in, the, in those bangs i love it yeah, takes off just, his clothes and does it like a swan dive off the ceiling of the, of the yeah. skyscraper <laughs> Okay, everyone. So welcome to Page and Screen. This is a book club for movie lovers, a movie club for book lovers. Uh, we read the book, we watch the movie, and we talk about them. My name is Calvin, and uh, Cyberpunk 2077 is just ghost about light. Hi, uh, I'm Doug, and um, I thought this was a really good manga. Hi, I'm Ashton, and I'm currently looking for my copy of the uncensored version of the manga because apparently it adds so much character depth to it. Hi, I'm Jesse Mully, and the reason why nobody can see John Cena is that he uses 2902 thermal optic camouflage. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, on this episode, we are discussing The Ghost in the Shell. The Ghost in the Shell is a manga by Masamun Shiro that was originally published in serialized form for a weekly young magazine from 1989-1991, and it was adapted to an anime film directed by Mamoru Oshii, released in 1995. So The Ghost in the Shell takes place in the fictional city of Nihama in Japan um, in a cyberpunk iteration of the mid-21st century. Technology in this world has advanced to a point where the lines between humanity and technology are blurred. Many people possess cyber brains, a tech that allows them to interface their brains with networks. Combining this with various levels of prosthesis, a person is able to become a cyborg, with their last human trait being their soul or their ghost. This is what the protagonist of our story is, Major Motoko Kusanagi. The story follows her and members of the Public Security Section 9, a special operations task force made up of former military officers and police detectives. Over the course of the series, they combat terrorist activity and political corruption, and in the last third, the growing threat of a cybercriminal known as the Puppeteer. Uh, the Puppeteer commits a large number of crimes through ghost hacking, which is breaking into and controlling human minds. It soon becomes clear that the puppeteer is actually an autonomous AI created by another government agency, uh, the Treaty Bureau of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, also known as Section 6. The puppeteer escapes Section 6's control in pursuit of his evolution through merging with Co. The major is initially skeptical, but finally agrees in merging with the puppeteer. Her old body is discarded, and the story ends with Otoko and the puppeteer inhabiting a new body, musing on what they will do next. Okay, so what did we think about The Ghost in the Shell? I really liked it. It was different than I expected. I definitely thought it was going to have a little bit more of a heavier tone. It definitely had a lot more um, comedic and lighthearted bits to it throughout. But like, like a, overall, it was kind of it was a fun read. I enjoyed it a lot, and uh, I actually found it a lot more episodic too than I expected it to be. I expected it to be kind of an overarching one storyline, but it was like every issue was like about a different case that they were put on. And it's fun to watch it, re, um, read it, sorry, and see how it's influenced a lot of modern day science fiction. 
Yeah, uh, I agree with Ashton a lot. The manga here, I am a huge fan of the artwork in this, um, especially the designs of the uh, Fuchikoma. They have a lot of rounded edges and stuff like that, and, and a lot of futuristic sci-fi um, illustrations. Everything's very jagged and straight and angled in this. It's just something's really aesthetically pleasing the way technology looks uh, in this manga. The the detail of work with these illustrations, I know it, it goes to black and white after a while, but you, anytime the colored parts uh, were to come on in the beginning of each new chapter, I was just completely blown away by uh, what I was seeing. I think it had a nice balance of uh, seriousness and comedy in it. I loved any time that the um, Fuchikomas were kind of talking amongst themselves and uh, how they went into detail, how these guys have machine learning. So yeah, uh, again, I really enjoyed this manga a lot. So I, I like everything that you guys said, I 100% agree with. I, I, I first watched Ghost in the Shell when I was probably 12 years old. And uh, that was probably 20 years ago at this point. I, and, and I haven't really watched it since. I maybe watched it once when I was a teenager beyond that, but I haven't really watched it. But I did have some of those ideas that I, I kind of figured where the manga would go just because I, I just had the movie in the back of my head. But I was pleasantly surprised at how different they were. Uh, different in a good way because they adapted the movie as opposed to taking it directly and I really enjoyed that and it left a lot of like a lot of stuff a lot of mystery as I was going through it I didn't know what was going to happen next and like next thing you know they're like they're in a courtroom and you're like you're like man this is nothing like the like the end of the uh and then they had the uh uh Fushi coma I think that's what it's called uh, they had uh, scenes with them, and I was a little sad that th- those don't show up in any of the adaptions that I ended up seeing, because I thought they were hilarious. And even like the character interactions between the major and um, uh, Batu and the chief Aramaki. If I say any of these uh, these names wrong, just just bear with <laughs> me. But they they had like a more playful relationship. They were a little bit more like joking around sort of thing, and those don't translate to any of the other adaptions as well. All the other adaptions are pretty serious pretty hard hitting and i think that you have to have them but that's why and that's those are facets of why i like the manga so much yeah i i definitely agree with with most of what's been said um i had never watched or read any of uh, any of this but i was obviously very aware of it it's considered like a cyberpunk bible like it's extremely influential on the genre and would lead to stuff like the matrix and 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 whatnot and i think i kind of developed this idea of what it was supposed to be like um and then i started reading it and yeah i was so surprised by the tone of it especially just because it's cyberpunk and i think cyberpunk inherently is supposed to be like really dark and gritty um so it was so interesting to see how light-hearted some of this was however that being said it like it's still very dark and it deals with some really dark subject matter and it took me a while to get used to this because felt like the subject matter was so dark and even during some really dark scenes the artwork was still really comedic and i was like i'm so i am so confused i don't know how to feel about this you know you you have this like character talking about like his memory being wiped believing in the false reality and stuff like that and and false memory implanted on him so he's probably just like being torn apart like you know emotionally 
and yet like the illustration looks like something out of like the pokemon cartoons and i'm just like this is weird (laughs) what's going on here? yeah he's got like a little nose Um, drip and everything and yeah (laughs) and i'm just like that's so strange um at first i don't know if i really liked it it like really bothered me that he was drawing this like in this like really silly way for such a dark storyline but I think by the end of it, I really did start to start to enjoy it because it does make some really good characterization that I think is lacking from a lot of the adaptations. You know, like it felt like Motoko was was too much of a one dimensional character in a lot of the adaptations, whereas in this, like she seems a little bit more com- complex and like you get to see her relationships, you get to see her like just having like lighthearted moments with um, her team members so yeah it's a it's a solid book and and yeah to go off of what jess saying like all of the design aspects of of cyberpunk in it are phenomenal um the author shiro Masumi, did talk about how a lot of it was just stuff that he had seen in other cyberpunk stuff so obviously this came after stuff like blade runner so you know he had obviously watched a lot of cyberpunk and then just kind of drew off of it but it's still phenomenal you know and a lot of the concepts that he introduces i think go on to become very influential you know you can definitely see how stuff like this would go on to influence the matrix and and things like that um you know especially considering that this book was written very early in the very early stages of the internet um it's pretty commendable for the stuff talk about and and this idea of like an online consciousness basically um yeah it's it's phenomenal yeah so yeah it, it is hyper hyper futuristic for a lot of it and then it, uh, they have those uh those tropes that uh, they they couldn't get away from just because of the air was made they'd be like uh, get that CD out of that uh, robot or whatever, and it'd be like this. Uh, I, I remember I actually laughed. There was a scene where it's like, like, quick, we have to fax this to the, to the chief. I'm like, yeah. what the heck? <laughs> it's like they still have fax machines though. Yeah, yeah they they're like connecting via like you know matrix like like brain uh, brain enhancements. They're like talking to each other uh, telepathically. But still, they have to send some uh, send some afforded documents. Like some, uh, like they're like the quickest way we can send this is the fax machine. And then some guy just runs to a fax machine, puts it in, <laughs> types yeah. it in, and just stands there quietly as like uh, is it slowly going through? <laughs> let's let's bring fax back. Did you guys I'll, have a favorite issue? I think my favorite issue is the where they were in that Soviet city, right. and they're tracking down. Um, the 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 russian guy with the the power arm i don't know why yeah but i just i just like the fact that they went outside of um the city kind of environment to this almost rural but still technologically advanced uh part of the world so i liked seeing like how these people like how the one of the fushikomas steals um from a shop, a memory enhancing right. uh, device. I just honestly, with those little guys, um, not little, they're big. The story aspects with them, I actually, I, did, I thought they were suits at first, but they were just mecha suits. Mm-hmm. And then once you realize, oh, these guys are artificial intelligence and they have thoughts and feelings of your own, and they're kind of like, like really, a vehicle. Yeah, they're yeah, they're like a thinking vehicle, like Kit from Knight Rider, but cooler in my opinion. But mm-hmm. no, uh, that part of the book uh, I enjoyed, and it's just because it was something 
different. They were mm-hmm. on this espionage mission in a different part of the world. And that was probably my favorite issue. Um, I do want to talk a bit about the, the ghost issue. I, at first I had trouble understanding what, what a ghost and stuff was at first I thought, Oh, like they mean the soul, but they actually go into talking. Oh, it's not just the soul. It's your conscious. It's your memories and it's your identity. And then once I got that wrapped around my head, I said, okay. So it's kind of like equating your being to another form of code. And I I actually like that because I think that's partially true in some ways. Um, There is not real differentiating between an AI and a person's mind if they're both essentially the same type of code if you can break it down that way so i liked how that similarity was made i think my favorite of the maybe not my favorite i don't know my my brain's uh racking to, to see what my actual favorite what it was because I, I when i first started reading it it was a little bit tough to get into but the point where i got into it and, and i was able to just burn through the rest of it uh quickly because i i was enjoying it it was like a really technical thing where they're talking about how they do the, how they build the skin of the, they're like, oh, the, you know, this photo sensitive like film that uh, that covers. And then it had a bunch of like footnotes that were talking about like the specifics of how it's possible. And then the next issue is uh, Fukukoma. Like they're, they're in a group and they're thinking about like inciting rebellion and stuff like that. And it was like a really short little comic, but it was generally, it was pretty funny. I quite enjoyed it. Those mm-hmm. two back to back were the t- turning point of the novel for me. Basically, from that point on, I, I basically enjoyed everything else after that. I think my favorite issue, I mean, other than the, obviously, Puppet Master uh, ones, uh, but I think my favorite issue was the uh, one with, I can't remember what his name was, but he was trying to get revenge on the Major. Oh, um, the terrorist. Yeah. Yeah. The one that, like, and then the, so they much. obviously took, so much. So, like, yeah. a certain moment from that issue and put it into the animes and yeah. um like I, I did i did really like that i think that might have been my favorite issue of all of the series so far doug maybe you and i had the same feeling where i i couldn't really get into it early on i read like 15 pages into the first and i was like i just haven't absorbed any of the information yeah in it at all like and i think maybe i wasn't quite in the mood yet but yeah like you said there's a certain point I was really enjoying it from that, like around the same point that you were talking about as well. Because I had watched the the anime and I my favorite part of the anime is the opening. I really enjoyed it. But when I started reading it, I was expecting the opening to mirror that. And so like it opens with like just like a run of the mill, like police operation. And I'm like, like, where's the assassination and guys with the cool like gun suitcases and stuff. And then none of that shows up. Uh, and so that's, I think that's why I wasn't like really into it. I'm just like, I, I was almost like I was waiting for that scene to happen. I'm like, it's not happening. Like when does this even happen in this? And yeah, so I actually had to, I, I did exactly the same thing where I read a huge chunk of the beginning. And then I was like, I sat back and like, I can't even tell you what I just read. So I had to go back and reread like a big chunk of it, but it's, yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, going back and looking at the book, I, I think I agree with Jesse, the, uh, issue where they go to the, uh, Russian or whatever uh it's called phantom fund mm-hmm. they it's, call they call it soviet right because it's still like yeah, set. it's, it's yeah. soviet yeah um it's it's phenomenal and i mean like just looking at just looking at it um i i remember i actually marked specific pages just because i like the artwork so much because there's a lot of like city scenes in here it's just 
gorgeous. To touch on what Ashton and Doug were saying, I completely agree. It's a very hard story to get into. And, you know, to be 100% honest, there's still a whole bunch of it that I did not pick up at all and that I just don't, I cannot wrap my head around. I guess this this book is, is different than most uh, manga that uh, there's a lot of commentary that goes through it. So Shiro Masamune um, writes in the margins of a lot of the mm-hmm of a lot of the pages and kind of uh, talks through what's happening in the panels. And at first I thought, wow, this is very strange because it just felt like he was explaining things that you're seeing on the panel. I'm like, I, okay, I get it. Um, but then there were other parts where you'd just be like, let me muse on what this technology um, So this kind of mirrors this, like this technology that we have today. Um, yeah. But you know, like, I've taken some liberties and, and used my imagination to come up with like a ridiculous variation on it. And I'm just like, I appreciated some of that, but even some of that was just so dense and so hard to wrap my head around. Cause there's a lot of like political mm-hmm. like hierarchy that he talks about in the book. And I could never figure out what all of that meant. Like I still don't have any idea what section nine is really like it seems like a counter-terrorist force but like they're also like internal investigation and stuff like that so it's just it was that part was very hard for me to wrap my head around even even the puppet master stuff um you know even when it starts to become like an overarching story by the end of it you know we'll get to the ending in a second but like the ending is so complicated and like mm-hmm. at first it, like i read i read through some of those panels over and over again trying to figure out what they were talking about i think some of the adaptations like the anime specifically does a a really good job of of simplifying that and making it a little bit more cohesive so yeah i, I completely agree it's um the, it's a hefty hefty book in terms of like some of the science and politics that they're talking about and, and it is hard to completely understand um it was also the first manga i've ever read and it took me so long to figure out the reading pattern um i would every once in a while just like drift out of it and then get confused and have to start over but oh like reading backwards because my book was automatically the north american way oh really yeah i was totally expecting to read it backwards like the like in a manga and i mm-hmm. grabbed it opened the back of the book and it was like the end i'm like <laughs> wait what <laughs> so then i, I opened it and i'm like oh i guess they reversed it for this publication i guess that i have did you buy the dark horse uh comic or i think it was like i think it was the um censored version from like a different publisher but it okay yeah. Oh, also going back to my statement about the censored versus uncensored. Did you are you guys aware of what's in the uncensored version? Yeah. So okay. So so this so this version that I have, mm-hmm. it's the deluxe edition published by Kodansha. Kodansha. Um, yeah. That's what yeah. I have too. Okay, Not deluxe, well then, but I don't know. So maybe maybe this is the censored version. But at the same time, I feel like it isn't because um, I was reading through what some of the controversy was because the reason it was censored. Apparently, there's a two page lesbian sex scene. Yes. Um, which I was like, OK, um, I read this book and there was a scene that I marked as like, is this? Yeah. Were they having sex? Um, uh, and I'm like, it, you, it's quite obvious. It, I, it, it I was Googled inferred. the pages. It, it was inferred because I, I, I was like, I, as, I was, as I was going through this, I'm like, like they're like they're not like it's not a scene. It's more of just like a, you know, hey, this happened. The scene before the the panel shows up, 
this happened. And I, and I remember being like, like I was clutching my pearls, being like, oh my goodness, what, what is this? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I googled it because I was curious too. Because I was like, yeah, uh, sure. like I and I, I opened the um, uh, the, there was like the link, and it was like, yeah, it's two pages. Here's the link, and I clicked the link, and I'm like, oh, that's definitely not in my copy. It is. Oh, really? Very graphic, and okay. it's very absurd. Like to the point where you're like, but, but so is it, it takes necessary? Place the, just so we're clear, it takes place in the same scene, though. It takes place in the same place that we're talking about. When yeah, I think so. It's, it's that part Bato, on the boat, right? It's like a yeah, and it's when Bato is like, I guess, like talking to the major briefly, yeah. and she's on vacation. Yeah, that's it's literally right in between those two pages. Oh, okay. All yeah, right. and See, that makes and that makes actually so much like sense. shockingly graphic. Yeah, okay, that makes so much sense to me because because I, just to just to go over this scene because it's so it's so weird. Aramaki tells Bato that like, oh, like I need to contact the major right now. And Bato's like, oh, well, she's on uh, she's on vacation. She's on R and R chief. And he's like, well, it's canceled. And then he hacks into her brain for a second to talk to her. Um, or not hack, I guess it's just like communicating or whatever, to try to talk to her. And he sees what she's seeing. And in the pages that I have, it's basically she's on a boat with uh, with two other women. And then she snaps out of it, and Bato's like, "Oh, like Major, I need to talk to you." But meanwhile, he's seeing what she's seeing, and he says something like, "Good thing there's no men involved. All those fluids, I feel nauseous. This is just too much." And he feels nauseous from what he saw. Anyways, and I was just like, I was just reading this, and I was like, "What the hell is going on?" And then in the yeah. margins, um, the author talks about it and says, you know, and specifically refers to it as. Uh, cyber sex like demolition man yeah okay sure but so and then i looked at the page and i'm like all i'm seeing is just a woman jumping into a boat is that what he thinks (laughs) yeah i know no it's 100 percent like like a lot more it's a lot more graphic to the point to the where you watch it and you're like yeah it really doesn't like add anything to i guess it, it only adds context to what bateau sees I mean, I, I will say it's not. It's nice that um, it's explicit. It's a little explicit that the major is bisexual. Yeah, um, and that's probably that probably gets lost in in later adaptations. Yeah, um, exactly. It, so so yeah. So so to like they introduce her her boyfriend and they're like, oh, the seven months is a new record for you or something like that, right? Yeah. But then uh, follows one of the funniest scenes, accidental funny scenes in in the. <laughs> in the entire thing where they're like, she's opening, like the doorbell rings. I can't remember how it breaks down, but the doorbell rings and somebody tries to assassinate her. He ends, she ends up killing him. And then it shows like a bomb attached to the person that he just killed. And it comes <laughs> down and it's like, no explosion. It shows like the entire floor of a building explode. Yeah. And like literally next slide. It's like, Oh yeah. Good thing. Major is here. I would have died. And like, everybody's fine. I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> he wrote yeah. a little note in there and he's like, I don't know if they would have had a, a people have been angry at me because of this. And it's like the major would have had enough time to get into cover. And it's like the entire floor is uh, yeah. gone. <laughs> I was like, there is no cover on that floor. I don't care who you are because I think you have to turn a page to see what happens next or whatever. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like, you know, next scene. Well, I'm, I'm sure next scene will be, she's like, you know, in a hospital bed being be rebuilt. Like next scene is like, 
oh, good thing Major is here, uh, or I would have died. And you're like, oh, I guess everybody was fine. And uh, <laughs> even though she was like two feet from that blast. Anyways, yeah. it's just a small gripe. It's not even a gripe. It's just something I actually, it was, as I was reading it, I actually started laughing out loud because of, uh, because of, I don't know. It, it was just funny. I don't know. There's, there's some hilarious moments in the author's like commentary where I was just like, is this just a thing in manga? And it's not, it's like, it's like a thing that he does. There's a scene where she, where she's like, the major's like in a car with, uh, yeah, I, I know. with one of her, um, Yokosai Okusai or, or uh, Tosuga Takusa, yeah. And then in the in the the commentary is like, yeah. oh, there's a scene here where the major takes over driving, yeah. and then they drive for a little bit longer. <laughs> I, I just didn't want to drive it, and I'm like, you didn't need to tell us that. <laughs> you could have just yeah. cut He's to just, the next scene. <laughs> you just felt yeah, so right. guilty. I do remember reading that. Is that's the blonde guy, right? That's the the blonde family man or Kogusa? whatever. Yeah, yeah. Kogusa. Yeah. I felt his characterization was the opposite of everybody else's characterization. I thought he was a better character in the anime, actually, strangely enough. But I felt that he wasn't really fleshed out as much. Every every scene with him is more like, like, oh, my family, I can't, I haven't slept. Like, he's just complaining and angry all the time. <laughs> but like, then like in the, in the actual anime movie, I'm just like, you see a lot more where he's talking about, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, almost 100% human and stuff like that. Anyways, I think he was the outlier in the sense that, his characterization was better in the anime as opposed to in the book. So mm-hmm. I can see that. I think it's like, I think it's kind of a thing where it's like the comic relief kind of gets in the way of the story sometimes. And, and, and I think his character was primarily used for comic relief a lot of the time. So you miss the part that like, I think, I think it mentioned in the book that he's, that he's almost a hundred percent human. Yeah. And that makes him different. Um, I think it is mentioned, but but I think like playing that up in the anime a little bit, it makes a bigger impact on you in the context of the rest of his um, of the rest of the characters. But yeah. So so what do you guys think about the end? Yeah, it, it's it's a tough one. Um, I mean, and this is this is interesting too because I've I've been playing cyberpunk a lot and. Um, I'm getting close to the ending of Cyberpunk, and uh, uh, sorry, the video games have. Anyways, and um, it's following a very a vaguely similar path. The puppeteer is a criminal that I think has committed some pretty terrible crimes, right? You know, he's he's cyber hacked these individuals. Like they don't make it explicitly clear. I think like what the damage from some of these crimes are. I'm thinking that like he's killing people by these cyber hacks and they can't all be evil. Like I'm sure he's killed innocent people. You know, I'm sure there's some collateral damage from what he's doing. And the fact that it's, she just merges with him at the end. I thought that was a little strange, you know, and like, we'll get to the anime in a second in the anime. It, they make the puppeteer a lot more sympathetic and, and you, you understand why, why she makes that decision. But it felt like he was more of a criminal in the in the book, and it was it was a little hard for me to to wrap my head around the fact that it's like oh, but now let's just merge with him and yeah, it, carry yeah. on. But yeah, I don't know. What did everyone else like? Um, the part where they make some um, I'm trying to think like Abrahamic religion references to it about this kind of like tree idea 
like it's it's hard for me to explain because I was trying to I was struggling to get through it, but um, ultimately, because at the end she sees this kind of seraphim. I thought that was kind of like Luciferian. That's just kind of what I got like this um, temptation, like she's talking about the tree and that there's fruit growing on the end. So um, I actually thought like, Ooh, that's kind of like scary. She's merging with this AI. It's like, I, I thought it was not going to be a, a positive thing for her, but at the end of the, um, the, the, the manga, we see that uh, they've, they've, be, they've become an individual on themselves, I guess. I thought the whole puppeteer thing, like, it, yeah, like Cal, I agree with Calvin, like this isn't a good program. It's using people as a means to an end. It doesn't understand like compassion and these virtues. And so when you see like the angel wings and stuff like that, it was like, Ooh, that's kind of like the devil, almost like a fallen angel kind of deal. What did everybody else think? I think, like I said, I think it was just a little bit convoluted the whole ending part like like you said i think the anime did a better job of simplifying it all i was like calvin and i read through panels multiple times trying to wrap my head around stuff and then i don't know if i fully 100 percent motoko's thought process to yeah okay let's merge in the manga itself it just kind of seemed like well why what, what's in it for me and he's like well there's like really and you know like, like there's not really anything in it for you that much it's just this this and this and she's like okay let's merge then that's i think that's the almost the direct quote i've heard enough let's merge it seemed a little bit of a snap like i didn't really see the connection there yeah that was my thought uh, I did enjoy the ending pretty. It was a strange ending because there was like four pages where the entirety of the slides are just like black swirls. And you're just like, you know, they're having all these like really high level philosophical conversation. I'm just like, this is a really strange part of this, uh, a part of this book. And then it has some connection. Well, the entire, even the title has some connection with the ghost in the machine truly i don't know enough about it so i can't really even comment but i know that there's a connection there and then they have the uh, like uh what's his name um lacart the guy who, who says uh i think therefore i am and i think i think that that idea of having thinking being the way you know you're alive i think that is actually probably a theme of the entirety of the uh i i'm kind of on the same page as what you guys said but I was also thinking of so so section six who who built the uh, the the uh, puppet the puppeteer they built it for counter espionage to break into other countries right and while doing that he accidentally became self aware I imagine that this AI was built as a weapon and so the only way it was it could react was as a weapon would react and I think. I think by connecting the two, I think in this this whole idea, I think what the, therefore I am, like the connection between the two brains, the two ghosts in a single shell, uh, one adds this context of humanity that uh, this AI probably never had access to in general just because it was born a weapon. And when you're born a weapon, all of your answers are uh, destroy, right? Maybe I'm getting too into it. Maybe I was, I'm overthinking about it. But all of this stuff, at the end of the novel, all of this stuff was bouncing around my head. And I thought, you know, I think I think that's like this whole identity, like like uh, theme of identity, theme of I think therefore I am, all that stuff plays in. And then this like AI, which is doing evil things. He was born to do evil things. And I think the connection 
that building that human connection with the with the girl who became um, the major. I think it's I think it's a good thing. I don't know I don't know what happens in the later um, sequels and stuff like that, but it it could be a good thing. I don't know. Yeah, I think um, I didn't I didn't see the the Abrahamic connections that you had Jesse at all. Because I saw it more as like what they were doing was constructing a tree. Because like he was talking about the universe and and creation as like you know stemming from this trunk and then and then extending outwards so that by the end of it it's the the fruit that's life essentially. Um, okay. Yeah. I guess. So in my you know in my view of what he and Motoko were doing basically. I kind of saw it as kind of like an Adam and Eve kind of thing where they were now birthing a new race basically because you know he's he's talking about evolution and how he wants to survive and you know she's like well why don't you just copy yourself and and he's like well then that that doesn't that I don't evolve I'm just staying the same I'm just creating versions of myself the only way for me to evolve is for me to to have something to change and and she would be that change you know like they would essentially procreate new versions of themselves i thought that was that was really interesting i thought this idea of ai evolving to a point where it now feel, feels the need to evolve is super interesting you know you see you see ai as a concept in science fiction come up a lot as just um a self uh, as just a destructive force as like humanity creates AI, AI becomes self-aware and then AI seeks to destroy humanity. And I just think it's such a tired trope. It's been done so many times and this takes a spin on it where it's like, it wasn't just seeking to destroy humanity. It was seeking a way it was seeking self-preservation and the best way for it to do that was to procreate with humanity bond with its Um, creator. And I guess, yeah, I think that is that is super interesting. However, that being said, they also like it's never made entirely clear exactly what Motoko is in the story. I get that she's a cyborg and she's a cyborg that is almost entirely cybernetic parts and I think the only thing surviving is her brain. But by the end of it, I'm like, does she even have a human brain because it it's not very clear there. Like it it's encased like- in like a it's encased in a shell kind of thing. I, I actually had to look that up, Calvin, because I thought the same thing at you. Like this is a completely it's just her brain's consciousness put over there. Her ghost was put into this shell. Parts of her brain have been replaced, but there's still I think you need at least eighty three percent of your brain uh, can be replaced and your spinal column before you've gone completely total uh, cyborg. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's like that whole thing there. The fact that they don't completely explain Motoko's background, um, it then made me question like who the puppeteer is, you know, because it's like, well, if Motoko is a human and like her consciousness, her ghost comes from a human, then is that what the puppeteer is, or is the puppeteer a complete computer, computer generated organism? You know, because in some of the previous stories, they talk about how they dub brains with human consciousness. You know, they take a human and they hack into the human's brain and then take the human's consciousness and put it into robots and create these self-aware robots that now in human consciousness. So so my my question was, like, is it even possible to create a pure AI then, you know, or, or are what you're 
creating just versions of humanity, right? Because inevitably, like, the AI, AI is going to have personality traits of its programmer. I don't know. Is the puppeteer any different from Motoko then? Um, and I don't know. Yeah, maybe, no, I agree. Maybe I took this from the anime or something, but I'm, I'm pretty sure at some point they do mention that... Um, uh, Motoko was a was a was a little girl who died, and they and they transferred her brain to a uh, to a fully synthetic. Uh, I I don't know maybe maybe that wasn't in the manga, but I definitely remember reading it from somewhere. And so what I took that and imagined that so she is she's she's a cyborg, so she's like just her brain and spinal column are human, but everything else is is like uh, and so. That's what I took. So, so she isn't. She's she's human in the sense that she thinks and she reacts like a human, with with cybernetic augments. And then the 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 section nine, section six AI is a full AI. It never had a body, and that was one of like the, like a twist or whatever, right? Where there's like, oh, I never had a body, and it's and it's talking to them for the first time, right? So like this AI was built separately, into the network. And and it was designed to go and uh, do cyber espionage and cyber attacks, became became an, a true AI in the sense that it understood it, who it was and wanted to, and then they tried to stop it. And then this AI weapon decided, well, I'm going to do what I'm I was designed to do and be a weapon. But that's that's how I at the end of the novel that's uh, that's kind of how I connected everything. I'm like she's she's human, this is an AI. They're going to connect the two and build a brand new being. That has aspects of both of them yeah yeah so you know uh we can get into the anime now if anyone has anything else to add about the manga specifically yeah so uh to get into the anime uh ghosts in the shell um the anime was directed by Moro Oshii uh, in 1995 it's fairly accurate to the novel however it really only adapts the last third of the book specifically the puppeteer arc. The storyline for the anime deals expressly with Oroko and Section 9 tracking down the puppeteer. It does adapt a lot of the earlier scenes from, from the manga, um, but incorporates them into the context of the puppeteer. And, oh yeah, and the ending is um, more or less the same. The only difference is Motoko and the puppeteer inhabit the body of a young girl versus um, the adult from, from the manga. Yeah. I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the anime. Um, like I said, I think it makes a lot of the storyline more cohesive and approachable. Um, also, having like I immediately went from reading the manga to putting on the anime, and the the shift in tone between the anime and the manga is so drastic. You know, like we said, the manga is surprisingly. Um, lighthearted and has a lot of comedic moments and the anime almost has none of it like there, there are a few moments that i caught that i was like oh like that's kind of funny and stuff but for the most part it is it is so serious so dramatic and at first i was thrown off by it and i was like i don't know if i you know and i still can't quite answer the question of like well do i prefer the anime or the or the manga more and it's weird like they're so different even though they're very much the same story for as dramatic as the anime is at first when i was put off by that and thought like well i don't know if i want it to be this dramatic i also can't fault it because it's so so gorgeous 
it is just a beautiful, beautiful movie. Like it is really well done. And there are some scenes in it that are just, it, it's very deliberate in some of the, the visual choices that it makes. And it's, and they're just very gorgeous and beautiful to look at cut with like, you know, solid soundtrack and just incredible music. It's a, it's a beautiful movie too. So yeah, whatever else I'll think. I'm I'm with you. Uh, I did the exact same thing. Like I finished the manga and then like maybe like an hour or two later popped on the anime and it's more in line with what I expected from the manga for tone. I mean, and I think like, like you said, it's like, it's hard to say which one I liked more or less. It's like, they're like, it's almost like a mood thing. Like what mood am I in? That like, that's how I would almost decide which one I would prefer, I guess. But, and I, I think the anime, like you said, is, gorgeous i liked how they um simplified the more convoluted aspects of the manga like the ending is like okay i gotta i'm a little bit more clear on what happened here i think the uh fukikoma obviously don't really make an appearance and i think that's a bit of a um, disappointment for some but at the same time i feel like if you're going for a dark tone then those the Fukikoma is not going to work in that movie. So I'm kind of fine with them not being in the movie. Yeah, overall, it's I, I really enjoyed the anime. It was it flew by. It was a quick watch, even though it is a short movie. But like I was even though I just finished reading pretty much the exact same story, I was still very engrossed in the watching the anime. Um, yeah, it was nice seeing the artwork in motion in this. Um, I loved every every time the camera was panning and they had the 3D effects where you could see buildings and depth perception moving. It just gave me like goosebumps and made me think of back to like Blade Runner and stuff like that. Whenever we see like Deckard flying over the the buildings with Gaff. So I love those little homages in there. Um, but I really wanted to see the Fukushima's in this because they do so much cool movements in this manga. That's just illustrated by motion blurs or by small little uh cut panels i was a little bit upset with that but you move on they do feature the think tank which is the large uh dual minigun uh, part which i did love um one thing i am absolutely amazed by is the way they do lighting in this because there's just there's just subtle lighting changes that they do and it has to do with animation and being hand-drawn that i'm blown away with and it's actually the scene where She's fighting the um, the gunner who's been setting up the call centers with the garbage truck guy, and she's wearing the camouflage yeah. and she's fighting him in the water in the rain. Yeah, in the, and I'm yeah. and I was just like watching. I actually went back a couple of times to go back and rewatch it because I don't know how they did it. They managed to make it look like real water, and just like just the little crisp little bending of light on every wave that's such dedication to it and i understand why i think a lot of uh parts of the story were cut out is because to animate that would have just been so costly and not time effective but other than that i like the story i think they did really good job adapting getting the the bulk of what's important in ghost in the shell on into um, a digital media like that and i love that no um i'm absolutely blown back by the animation of this yeah, it was uh, it was pretty good. But <laughs> <laughs> so I remember, so I, I was about, I don't know, I was 10 to 12. And my brothers came home with three movies, all, all animes. Akira, Ghost in the Shell, and Ninja Scroll. And I remember we watched Akira, and I enjoyed that. We watched Ghost in the Shell, 
and I enjoyed that as well. Both movies are probably a little bit uh, beyond my age at the time. I was probably like 10 to 12 or something. And then Ghost, and then Ninja Scroll was um, definitely beyond my age because it's very, very, you know, a lot, lot of nudity, a lot of stuff like that. Anyways, so I kind of had like, I, I always remember that. It was a, and so I kind of walked into all of this understanding like what to expect. And I think because I had already seen the, the anime, uh, it was the book that that caused me the most shock. Like, obviously, you can't adapt everything. There's just too much, right? So, so they did, they did what a great adaptions do. They take the spirit and the feeling and the and and main points of the original material, and then they they do that, right? Um, I was a little shocked because some of the best moments in the in the anime don't even show up in the in the manga like the scene at the end when she's fighting the the tank where they're there in that building and she's like you know shoot the shoot the windows and they uh and then she like when she's like ripping it up when she's using all of her power to rip off the door and stuff like that stuff doesn't show up in the manga uh, manga and like like i just thought that was cool that they created like moments that were in many ways that that defined the series that weren't even in the original source material I definitely appreciated more watching it this time around than than when I watched it when I was young, and uh, I took a lot more out of it. As I started watching it, I, I knew there was a tank battle at the end, but I didn't know exactly what happened. I couldn't tell you exactly how it ended. It was awesome. Quite enjoyed the. You know what I did find it? I found it was really short. There wasn't tons of like uh, like I'm trying not to say this rude, but there was. It, it felt like there wasn't a lot of story there, but I still enjoyed it quite a bit. Like the artwork was beautiful. Uh, the the soundtrack was excellent. Like holy crap! Like I I actually threw that on as I was driving around the other day. Like just the soundtrack, and I'm just like holy crap. Yeah. And I know that they took uh, you know the 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 digital green rain in the Matrix. They took that from the opening sequence of this. Uh, like like mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure yeah. they 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 took it directly. If they didn't, then they're just like straight up stealing there. But uh, there was some great stuff. Quite enjoyed it. And um, yeah. Uh, to be fair, uh, she does fight the tank in the in the manga. Similarly to like uh, some of the other scenes in there, there are versions of it in the in the manga. Um, I just think the anime did it a little bit better, and the, you know that that goes that goes to show with I don't know it, maybe it's just seeing art in motion and they're able to do more with it. It is hard to translate some of that into comic book form. You know, there were certain points where I was like, I was finding it hard to trace through the panels and see the what the action is supposed to look like. Yeah, um, I did too. Um, especially some of the some of the invisibility scenes like there were scenes where the fujikoma would go invisible or or she would go invisible and like that stuff was hard to to read in a comic book because obviously it's hard there's still images right but the animation um helps and and created some some really gorgeous moments there so Aside from like the water special effects, one of my favorite parts is actually when Doug said she's ripping off the lid of that tank and you can see the synthetic muscles quickly adapting and changing and then finally breaking, like thinking about how every single one of those frames being drawn and animated just boggles my mind. Really good professional work. Yeah. Um, Animation was created over a hundred years earlier, but um, yeah, it's pretty cool. So. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> also, too, I you've said uh, 
uh, Fukukoma. You're saying Fukushima for a while there, and I yeah. wanted to stop you. Fushi, yeah, Fushikoma. It's <laughs> there's touch there's Tachikoma, Fuchikoma. So I'm sorry, I apologize. I'm getting yeah. so many things mixed up. Fukushima here. was the nuclear power plant that almost yes. melted. I know, <laughs> I know, Doug. <laughs> I'm just I'm just trolling you at this point. I'm sorry. I know. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, you know, like, okay, I, I wish I could read this in its original Japanese and watch it in its original Japanese. Because everything that I've seen about this is the adapted English version. And I'm confident there's like nuances and stuff that are missed out and stuff like that, right? Because it's just the nature of translation, right? So I don't know. Uh, you know, short of like learning Japanese and like that, there's no way for me to actually like get it. And, and I kind of... But but I would love to like I I, I almost wanted to wish to talk to somebody who is a Japanese speaker and who has read it and see see what they kind of they have to say about it. So if you know anybody like that, let me know and we'll hang out or whatever. So yeah, it's interesting, and I guess that goes that goes hand in hand with like a lot of manga and and anime and stuff like that. Is it it means I'm sure it means so much more to people who are Japanese and people who grew up in Japanese culture because there is a lot of it behind it, you know, and, and even in some of the commentary, he makes reference to like Shinto Buddhism and how some of the philosophical concepts come from that. Um, yeah. Does anyone else have anything else to add? Cause maybe we'll talk about the 2017 version briefly. <laughs> if you've only read one or watched one, I would, I would suggest like doing both because, because mm -hmm. it, it kind of like really rounds out the character, especially if you've only, if you, I feel like if you've only watched the anime, it, it probably pays to, to read the manga because it was neat seeing Motoko in a little bit more of a, a lighthearted role. You know, the anime makes it make, makes her character seem a little, uh, seem very tough. And yeah, it was just, it was just nice having like a more lighthearted version of her. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh quick bonus section a few of us have uh decided to go and watch the uh 2017 um live action ghost in the shell uh directed by rupert sanders um and starring scarlett johansson um what are our thoughts on that version <laughs> so i went in with pretty low expectations it, it, it was an american remake it didn't look like anything special in the first place i just didn't have very much faith that it would have been a very good adaptation of it so i turned it on after the day the day after i watched the anime and read the manga first of all it's a very different story so they took similar aspects to the anime and they decided to adapt aspects of the series as well I guess it, it feels like it's trying to tell two different stories at once, the themes and the story, like it all feels very half baked at the end of the day, the movie's just not good. Then we can get into like the, the whitewashing aspects of it where, you know, like why Scarlett Johansson predominantly, but then you realize that every other character is also white, that they're all in Japan working at like Japanese government and everything like that. Why, why is literally everyone white? <laughs> So I threw it on. I did the exact same thing with you. So I um, I finished the book. I watched, rewatched re the uh, the anime, and then I was started to watch it. But I'm like, I can't get into this right now. So I threw on the Mummy with Brendan Fraser instead, and I watched that. <laughs> the next day, I woke up, and it was fairly early in the morning. It was like 10:30. I'm like, eh, I'll throw on the movie, and I threw it on. 
I kind of walked in saying, you know, I bet you it's actually a pretty good movie, but because of Scarlett Johansson and the whole whitewashing thing, I bet you people don't give it the time of time of day. So that's where I came into watching the movie. But um, it's not that. It's actually just a bad movie. Like, <laughs> like I was hoping that people would hate it just for that one reason, but there's a whole slew of reasons. All of the best parts of this movie were taken from the earlier Magna and the anime like like all yeah. of the cool visuals all of the the they even took some of the sound original soundtrack all of the best parts of this movie they took from somewhere else and all of the worst parts of the movie were the parts where they were trying to americanize japanese concepts and it just it, it just didn't port like is like the whole like happy ending it, it was it was uh, one of the worst adaptions that i've i've, I've watched so I was taking some university courses and, and we talked about this in one of the university courses and in American cinema. So they break down American demographics based on different races. But the strange thing is, is they add the Asian demographic into the white demographic. So, so there isn't an Asian demographic according to Hollywood. It's just like, like if you're Asian or white, you're in the same demographic. If you're black, you're in a different demographic. It's a really strange thing that, that Hollywood does. And that's why for, for so many decades, they shrug their shoulders when it comes to Asian representation. They're like, well, isn't that just like the same demographic as white? Can't you just make uh, John uh, Wayne Genghis Kong? Like, it's just, it's just one of those really like screwed up things. And, and, and it pissed me off. That, that portion pissed me off about the... But also, it was just not a good movie. It just... All the cool parts of that movie were taken from somewhere else, and all the really sucky parts were everything they tried to add in, and it just wasn't a good movie. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know who you're apologizing to. I don't think anyone disagrees with you in general, not yeah, even in my personal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I have to agree with everything. Um, you know, I thought I thought her hair looked good in the movie. I liked her bangs. That's. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, the rest of it was pretty terrible. You know, um, I'm hopeful that somewhere down the line they they actually do a, a faithful adaptation with uh, with a better cast. Until then, um, try not you, to watch the 2017 version. Would, would you guys Would you guys like to see a live action adaptation of the manga or the uh, anime? Actually, I was thinking about this. I'm glad you glad you're asking the question. This could easily port into a television series because all of the, like, not a series, like, I don't want to see seven seasons of this, but I, I'm saying, like, a short-run series where you have 10 episodes because there are, it's already broken down into 13 comics in here, like, in the actual book, and you can build a fairly solid television series live action based on that, you know, starring Scarlett Johansson and, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah, so okay, this is another thing, and I and I, I was trying not, but I'm gonna go off on a little bit more. So the whole concept of this super cyborg thing was it was gonna build a perfect representation of humans, right? And there's something deeply wrong with the idea that that it's white, just a white woman. <laughs> it's just a white woman. The major supposed to be built as like a perfect fighting machine, and I guess. And even like all of their cyber enhancements, like they're basically, it basically sends the message that perfection, at least according to Hollywood, are white people. Everybody who's supposed to be perfect or more perfect is white. And the only time you see Japanese people in the, with the exception of the, the chief, 
the only time you see Japanese people are henchmen with ugly with ugly prosthetics. And I'm just like, what the heck? Like, there's something deeply wrong with that entire situation that that Hollywood just doesn't get. But uh, so so WWE casting now. Yeah. So if we do uh, do a new version, um, this is our this is our recurring segment where we try to cast them with uh, WWE superstars. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, I'm gonna sit back for a second because I feel like everyone's gonna say Oscar. So so go ahead. <laughs> now I would um I would do what Hollywood does and just have Becky like, Lynch. Like, yeah, Becky yeah. Lynch. <laughs> Actually, Becky Lynch probably would have been a better uh, a, a better <laughs> casting than uh, than Scarlett Johansson. Io you Shirai would, would be actually a good one. In, in all seriousness, Io Shirai would be a good one. Uh, what are yeah. you doing? Are you adding agency to Asian actors in an Asian <laughs> movie, Ashton? <laughs> no, I'm just being a dick. No, no, yeah, she would. She would be excellent. I can't think of anyway. John Cena as John well. John Cena as Bato. Bato, yeah. <laughs> you know what? On all honesty, he would probably kill it as. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of like a big Japanese wrestler, um, and there aren't a lot. There aren't oh, a lot of big Japanese wrestlers in WWE, are there? The uh, there are a lot no. of big re- big Japanese wrestlers, but just they 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 haven't ported over to North American audiences. So like you know, yeah. If you could have voices for the um, Fuchikomas, who would they be? Because they all seem to have. I don't know if they all have the same voice or whatnot. It briefly talks about how. They share an intelligence at the end of the day. Yeah. I, I would get the I'm, Miz. I would get the Miz to do all their voices. Perfect. Yeah. I, I'd get New Day to the... To, uh... That's actually, actually... Okay. That is the best idea. You're getting me, yeah. getting me a little too excited here. <laughs> no, so, but but the, 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 Fuka, the, the Fuka Koma, Fuchi, Fuchikomas, not Fukushima's. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. sorry. No, but the... <laughs> Uh, no, but uh, I, like I remember that scene where they're talking about like they're individuals during the day, but at the end of the night they all connect together and become one conscious. And so yeah, yeah. So the new day would be perfect. And <laughs> yeah, no, that that's perfect casting yeah. right there. I would I would yeah. I would pay so much money to see the new day voice yeah. voice them. <laughs> Anything else? I think this pretty much wraps it up. Solid choice. Excellent book. Excellent movie. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely check them both out if you haven't. This pretty much wraps up our episode. Um, our next episode, we will be reading The Death Ivan Ilyich by Leo Tolstoy. And the adaptation we are watching is Ikiru, directed by Akira Kurosawa. Very excited for this. Thank you so much for listening, for joining us today, everyone. I want to give a special thanks to me and my friend for creating all the music you hear on the show. Check out more of their music by visiting meandmyfriend.bandcamp.com. If you like the show, go ahead and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really like us, please leave us a review and a rating. Feel free to connect with us on social media. We are at Page and Screen One on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also search Page and Screen on YouTube, where you can watch a video version of this show. We post regular updates of all the books we read and the movies we watch, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on all of them. We're not the only ones who can offer our own warranted opinions, so chime in and join the conversation. And finally, make sure you spread the word about the show. 
If you know a book nerd or a film geek in your life, pass it on. We'd love to reach new people. Maybe you know someone who wants to get those sweet, sweet Motoko Kusanagi bangs. Well, we probably can't help with that, but that's enough of an in for you to recommend this show. Tune in next week. Thank you for listening. <laughs>